The Gospels are the accounts of the words and works of our Savior Jesus. It's there that we learn of the acts of love that mean for us forgiveness and everlasting life. Join us to study one of these Gospels, the book of Matthew. Read a chapter and then listen in as our pastors from Grace discuss the marvel of God's words to us. We hope that you listen to Jesus' words and that with us you grow. Here's another discussion on a chapter from the book of Matthew. One of these days I should make uh, your voice be the first one that people hear and see if that throws people off. <laughs> there you go. Pastor Strong, you want to do the introduction today? I totally could. Not ready. He wasn't I'm ready. I'm ready. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Most Certainly True Podcast. This is uh, both Pastor Hockman and Pastor Strong. We're glad that you're here today. I didn't mean to put you on no, the spot. You, I just, I'm, I'm sorry. sitting here waiting for you to start. and then uh, Usually when I start in. talking, you've got a good uh, 15 seconds I worth of uh, nap. formulate and... <laughs> my thoughts and whatever else. So. No, got that's, that's great. I love the awkward intros. That's awesome. <laughs> We're glad you're here, those of you that are still with us uh, after after a minute of awkward introduction. It's two days in a row. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's going to get through Matthew chapter 11, and that's really about it, because then they're like, we're sick of listening we to are these done. crazy guys. <laughs> that's awesome. But gold star for those who are sticking through to Matthew. Yes, we, thank we you. ought to put like a code word at the end of the podcast, and then anyone that can repeat the code word gets... <laughs> Like a, a real gold star. There you go. You can repeat all <laughs> from all chapter twenty eight chapters. You're good to go. Uh, well, we've been uh, uh, almost two weeks now into into our reading um, challenge. Is the word that's on the tip of my tongue because we did a reading challenge a couple summers ago. Not really a challenge, an encouragement to to join us in devotionally reading the, through the Gospel of Matthew. So we're glad that you have chosen to take us up on that offer and to grow with God's Word uh, along with us. Uh, here we're going to march through Matthew chapter 12. starts with Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, that Sabbath day seems to be one of those things that the Pharisees were always trying to get Jesus on and always trying to... Um, catch him in some sort of Sabbath day error or or sinning against the Sabbath um, for a couple of reasons. One, they wanted to prove that Jesus was the fraud that they thought and believed he was. But also, secondly, adhering to the laws of God was what that was their benchmark. That was their um, what put them on the map, and so that they thought that this Sabbath day thing was was the way that you could set yourself apart as special the way that they were doing. They had Sabbath day, but then it added a whole bunch of their own Sabbath day laws as well. So often what they're trying to get Jesus on was a violation of their Sabbath day additions and not really catching the heart of what the Sabbath was all about. Right. And, you know, I wonder if the Pharisees weren't like that, I don't know, like the, the bratty little kid who just is, is just staring at his brother or sister, his sibling, just waiting for them to make a mistake and to slip up so you can go tattle. Right. And I mean, it's kind of sense that you get here, like just following Jesus around, waiting for him to slip up. Uh, you know, the reality is, is Jesus as perfect savior, never slipped up, never sinned, but they're calling him out on their own sabbath day rules and laws here and and jesus has to set them straight as to what the sabbath yeah. is really meant for right they're vying for the power and the attention and what better way to do that than to discredit jesus right yep um so here they think they've got him because of the rule against harvesting on the sabbath day 
Yeah, and it's it's it seems so silly. The disciples reach out and grab a couple of heads of grain, kernels of grain, um, from the as they're walking past. Which, by the way, they were told um, the Israelite farmer was told not to harvest all the way to the edge for a very purpose as this, so that when people are passing by, they can. Um, they, so so even in the intentions of of harvesting regulations, there was there was this allotment that they could do this. Right. So for the for the Pharisees to come and accuse the disciples of harvesting on the Sabbath day was was pretty silly and quite a stretch to begin with. But Jesus uses it as an opportunity to to teach. Yeah, and he goes back as and, and he shares a couple of examples. One was um, David and his companions who went to the temple on the Sabbath day and asked because they were hungry and, and traveling and all that to eat the bread from the temple that was, or it wouldn't have been the temple, it would have been the tabernacle. The tabernacle, yeah. Um, at that time, and uh, to eat the bread that was meant for the priests. But why? Well, because of, of the needs that they had. Yeah. If you want to review that story, it's in First Samuel chapter 21. Uh, David and a few companions are fleeing from angry King Saul who's trying to kill him and David ends up near the tabernacle and they're hungry. And so they ask the priest, do you have any food for us? We're on the run. Um, and the priests say, well, this is the only bread we have. But even the priests understand normally this isn't like drive through. You can just come and, and order up some showbread and you can have it. But this is an extreme case where the law of love trumps even what, um, what the normal legal arrangement would be for, for the showbread. Yeah. And so Jesus is is going to bring use that as an example of look at there how even in the tabernacle the law of love was still more important than a, a religious worship um, ritual or, or or arrangement. And the other illustration he uses is uh, just a picture of the work that the priest does on the Sabbath day. You you weren't uh, you know you weren't allowed to slaughter an animal on on the the Sabbath day, but yet God commanded that they offer up some sacrifices on the Sabbath day, and yet they were innocent, right? So, I mean... Yeah, weren't you know, al- and weren't allowed to do your normal job. Right. Sabbath day rest was all about stopping your normal occupation so that the day could be dedicated to the Lord. Well, what about the priests who had to function as their normal job? Were they violating the Sabbath? Well, of course not. They had to be there to help other people worship, and and so they weren't sinning against the Sabbath laws by by working. In fact, they were helping everyone else honor the Sabbath day by by facilitating their worship on that day. And then Jesus throws the trump card, and you know he throws out the the fact that he is the Son of Man, uh, and and the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one who's created the Sabbath. He's the one for whom the Sabbath has, was created. Um, and and then he goes even further by healing a man um, in the temple that day uh, who has uh, a shriveled up hand, and yeah. uh, <laughs> it's just like I'll show you what I am allowed to do. Right, right. By the way, this was my idea, so <laughs> I think I know well how to carry out the law that I created. Exactly. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> so then, you know, just the point that I think it drives home for us is is what is the purpose of the Sabbath. Right, and the, and the Sabbath. Well, we don't. The Sabbath technically was a Saturday in Old Testament times. Um, the Sabbath is a day of rest. How do we find our day of rest? To spend that time with the Lord and in His Word. And um, you know, it doesn't mean that you cannot work on Sundays or you have. You know, church has to be every Sunday. 
um, and every time you, you have to worship every weekend. But the idea of where am I finding this time out of the, the craziness and hectic and busyness of our world to be with Jesus, yeah. especially for our families. It's, it's interesting that the Sabbath law was a ceremonial law. This was a part of what was required of God's people for the way that they would worship. So they had to do it on Saturday, and they had to not do any other work. And it was all to point forward to the rest that Jesus would bring. Right uh, Now, New Testament believers aren't bound by ceremonial laws, yet Luther um, highlights that there was a good purpose, a good spiritual purpose for the Old Testament observation of the Sabbath day, and, and we can gain... Um, that good purpose as we um, strive to set aside time to worship the Lord, as we um, seek to make spiritual things uh, have the important role that they do. Um, it's not about, am I refraining from work on this day or the day on which I worship? You can worship on a Sunday or a Monday or a Wednesday night or um, in your home, your whole life can be uh, a life of worship. We're not bound by by these specific requirements or, or stipulations, but the benefit of seeking rest from Jesus and, and taking time to focus on him is certainly one that can still be gained. Right. Well, this whole event just really irritated the Pharisees. You know, they got reprimanded. They didn't like it. And it's uh, at this point that they start plotting how they might kill Jesus. I mean, that's... <laughs> that's a lot of jealousy. Yeah. That's a lot of anger and resentment that they have towards Jesus. Um, that's just founded upon their own self-righteousness and, and self-righteous attitudes that they thought they were right and Jesus is wrong. And now we're going to kill him because yeah. he's, he's ruining what we believe as, as truth. Jesus did shoot a hole in their whole mindset and worldview. Like the Sabbath law was one of the big ones that they loved to keep and loved to take pride in keeping and then Jesus comes and says, yeah, it's actually not that big a deal because it was actually all about me. Right. I, I love Jesus' phrase from verse 7, um, talking about mercy. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Um, it's not about about the outward action. It's God desires mercy far more than he does sacrifice. He desires love and loving intentions. Heartless actions are not what God desires at all. Um, and, and so it's possible to go through the motions of keeping a commandment and not actually be keeping the commandment because my heart's not in it. Right. Um, it harkens back, in my mind anyways, to God's refrain against the Old Testament people. Um, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Those people are going through the motions. They were saying the right things and doing, uh, at times, the right things, but they weren't doing it for the right reasons, and their they, their hearts weren't in it, and they weren't actually worshiping. Jesus here is really saying, you can keep the Sabbath day all night, all day long, um, but if you're not doing it for the right reason and your heart isn't in it, you're just going through empty motions. Right. You're not actually making yourself closer to God the way you think you are and the way the Pharisees claimed that they were. So recognizing the place that God has for mercy and the des that that mercy is His desire, that love and where your heart is is what He really wants, and it shows the heart of of our Lord and the heart of Jesus too. 
after that, um, knowing that the the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus, uh, he withdraws from them. And of course, large crowds seem to follow Jesus everywhere he goes, and he heals those who are sick um, and ill. And then uh, the next verse is, again, just another prophecy from the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, that just would describe the, that coming Messiah and Savior. And um, Jesus shared it. And just, a, man, you look at that and you look what Jesus is doing and you see, yeah, he really was the one that God said would come. Yeah, this is, uh, it reminds me of God the Father's words at Jesus' baptism. Uh, the one that I've chosen, the one in whom I delight, um, feels like that was an illusion that the Father made to this this prophecy. Isaiah says that the chosen Messiah, the one that's coming, is going to be one that earns the favor and delight of God. Um, and then the heavens break open, and, and God the Father declares, this is the one. Here's the one right. in whom I delight. Here's the one that Isaiah was talking about. Um, here, you've got that again. In the next section, Jesus uh, uh, has a demon-possessed man brought to him. Um, this man was also blind and mute. I mean, he had a lot of, a lot of stuff not going his way. Um, and Jesus healed him, uh, drove out the demon. He healed him so he could speak and see again. And this blew the people away again. Um, but now again, the Pharisees are, are, man, they are just so against Jesus. They accuse him of being... Um, they, Jesus is able to do these things because he's really Satan. He's yeah. Beelzebub. And and Jesus then goes into quite a bit of a uh you know a showing of well that's that's not right at all. Slightly slightly sarcastic <laughs> comment uh how could Satan drive out Satan? Why would Satan drive out Satan? Their argument seems pretty illogical. Absolutely. Um, and Jesus is the first to point that out has that familiar um, picture of the strong man. Um, if you want to rob a strong man's house, you got to tie the strong man up first. Um, so Jesus here is emptying and defeating Satan and his power and then proclaiming, proclaiming the truth of the gospel, showing the power that he has over the devil. We see the devil hard at work. This is a couple chapters in a row where there's been... Um, demonic activity where there's been um, indication of the devil's hard work right alongside Jesus as Jesus is here to be the savior of the world. The devil's not going to go down without a fight. Yeah. Uh, and you can see that, but, but Jesus is clearly the stronger one and, and the one who holds the real power. As he goes on, there's uh, I think an interesting passage in this section uh, verse 31. Um, and so I tell you every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. And and you run into this a couple of times throughout scripture, but it's this idea of the unforgivable sin, right? And it's that sin against the Holy Spirit. And I've had a, enough people ask me about that. Well, what is the sin against the Holy Spirit? And It's striking, right? To hear about an unforgivable sin right. because Jesus forgives the sins of the whole world. So hold on. Yeah, what, what <laughs> but there's, there's one there's thing one I can thing. do. But when you understand what it is, it makes sense because what is what is the sin against the Holy Spirit other than a rejection of the Holy Spirit's working in your heart? So it's it's me putting up the barrier in the wall when when God comes to me with his gospel and saying, "No, I don't believe it and I reject it." And and so that rejection of of the Holy Spirit, the rejection of the gospel is the one sin that can't be forgiven because it, I'm rejecting the one thing that can save me. Right. 
And that's why it's unforgivable. Right. It's not unforgivable because it's so egregious. It's unforgivable because in the act of committing the sin, you are severing the one thing that could provide that forgiveness. Now, can I be forgiven for my unbelief? Absolutely. Right? If I come to faith and the Holy Spirit opens my heart to that, even though I was stubbornly against it for a long time in my life or a moment in my life, yes, I can be forgiven for that. But this is talking about that that stubborn, obstinate refusal yeah. to accept you, the Holy You'd Spirit. have to say, like, final rejection of the Holy Spirit right. is the sin against the Holy Spirit. And right? I've often told people, too, who are wrestling with this, well, I, I don't know if I'm guilty of the sin against the Holy Spirit. I said, oftentimes, if you are that concerned about sinning against the Holy Spirit, you're probably pretty far away from sinning against the Holy Spirit right. because it means you have a faith in you, you're aware of it. You might be... You might be not as strong in, in your faith at that moment or, or just with some some doubts and things that, that need to be worked on and overcome, but you're probably far away from yeah. actually committing the unforgivable could, sin. Could you even faith. have a concern about committing a sin without faith? Probably not. Without you faith. You wouldn't even care. You would, yeah. So the, the, the presence of a struggle tells you that there's there's also the presence of of faith. Now, how strong that is, how strong the struggle is, or how strong the faith is, is going to vary. Uh, but that's a fruit of the Spirit, that you're actually concerned about your eternal welfare and concerned that maybe you have angered God or sinned against Him. Um, that comes from faith. Right. And if you've got faith there, you haven't committed the final rejection of, of the Holy Spirit. You haven't committed final, irreversible unbelief. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else in that? section of Jesus' words that you wanted to comment on? Um, I think I, that was the note that I had. He says again, um, a tree is recognized by its fruit. Uh, we have that in the section pre- in a previous chapter about the false teachers. Um, you judge them and their fruit. Is that chapter 7, I think? It talked about false teachers. It was definitely and, earlier on, yeah. Um, and then the fruit would be the, the teachings here. Here you've got the same thing that Bad trees are the things that produce bad fruit, and so beware. Yeah. The next section, um, some Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus uh, to give them a sign as to who he is. And uh, Is Jesus happy about being asked to give a sign? Um, a wicked True. and adulterous na- generation asks for a sign. So... I don't think so you're saying pleased. you're saying uh, true. Jesus is unhappy about being asked. I would, I would say so. <laughs> And he says, none will be given. And I think this is interesting, except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. And uh, well, what is the sign of Jonah? Well, it's it's just as Jonah was in the belly of a whale for or a large fish for three days. Um, so too would the Son of Man, so too would Jesus be in the, the, the belly of death, the belly of the grave, right, for three days and then rise to life there. So that's the one sign they will have. What, and I guess really what more of a sign do you need to know that he was Savior? They would put him to death and then the tomb would be empty because he's alive and showed himself. Want your sign, I'll give you your sign. There it is. Yep. He's got another, like, from the previous chapter, the woe and the repentant towns, the, the men of Nineveh will stand up in judgment against this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. So, again, this shocking, it's going to be better for Nineveh. They're going to be the ones, that, the Ninevites, those vile and cruel Ninevites, they'll be the ones that are going to stand in judgment against God's people, <laughs> the people of Israel. Because the gospel worked on their hearts and they repented, and the gospel's not working in the hearts of 
or, or it's being rejected, I guess I should more accurately say. Right. They're rejecting the gospel um, and not allowing it to plant in their, plant itself in their hearts. Um, another one of those striking, when the gospel changes the heart of a, of an unbeliever, that's a pretty amazing thing. And it's sad when that doesn't happen for God's people. It's sad when that doesn't happen for the Israelites, but the Gentiles are, are accepting the gospel and receiving its, its benefits. Right. And then at the end of this section, he has this picture of, um, the person who has an impure spirit leave them and, uh, and, and goes and, and wanders around, but then comes back because he finds that that person's heart is still empty and makes his home there with even more, right? And, and tears up their, their heart and life even more. And, and just this idea that if we don't fill our hearts with Jesus, what's going to fill it, right? And what kind of things in this world, what kind of temptations, what kind of self-righteous thoughts are we going to fill it with? Yeah, that's a really interesting little section that Jesus adds at the end there. I read a, a commentary that had a, suggestion as to what Jesus might be talking about. Okay. Um, apparently there were some Jewish unbelievers, but Jewish people who were exorcists mm-hmm. and they were driving the demons out, but just kind of like for sport and not really with the spiritual intention. Sure. And if that's what Jesus is referencing here saying, okay, so the demon gets driven out, but when, when it's not replaced by the gospel, when it's not replaced by the message of Jesus, when it's not replaced by faith, um, it's as good as if seven more demons would come in because that person's just as damned as they were when they had the impure spirit as they are when they just have a regular empty, stone-cold heart of unbelief. Right. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I don't. I didn't do enough research to find out if they actually were Jewish exorcists. Yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes commentators... Uh, dream up some things based on the text and then work out uh, a reason why rather than having the reason why and then yeah. making the connection. But um, I thought that was an interesting thing that even driving out the demons is, is pretty pointless if you're not going to, if it's not going to be replaced by something wholesome and good. Absolutely. And yeah, the point is, is absolutely still made. And then we get to, while they're still talking with this crowd, Jesus has his family come visit. His mom and, and brothers stand outside, and they're they're looking to talk with him. And someone kind of comes in and says, hey, Jesus, your, your mom and brother's outside. You should come hang out with them. And Jesus makes this kind of striking statement and says, who's my mother and who are my brothers? And he looks around at the, the crowd, those he's preaching to, and say, you are my brothers and, and my mother. Um, so really this idea of what's more important. Yeah. Your, your earthly physical family or your eternal spiritual family, those that you are connected to um, through the, the blood of Jesus Christ and faith in him. It seems like a little bit of a Mary Martha moment, doesn't it? Yeah. That no, actually preaching the gospel to to these people whose hearts are being changed by it and lives are being changed by it is more important. Um, right. I can go tell them what my dinner plans are later. But for now, it's preaching the gospel is what's important. So yeah, and by no means is Jesus, you know, trying to downplay the 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 family unit and all this stuff and not important. You know, we should obviously Scripture talks a lot about the relationships between husbands and wives and parents and children and all that stuff, and and we want to have that honor and respect. But here, he's he's making the bigger point: the spiritual work, the spiritual life, the spiritual family is is far more important and should be priority one um, in our lives. Yeah. I agree. All right, chapter 12. Anything, uh, closing thoughts you have about chapter 12? 
I think that's it. Sharing all my my wisdom and knowledge. Your your brain's empty now. (laughs) It is now empty. (laughs) Yeah, I have spilled all of my Matthew chapter twelve knowledge. Need to go fill it with something else. That's both of us (laughs) because I'm about I'm about there too. We see um, Jesus' patience, his love, um, yet his his willingness to proclaim the truth to sinners, his willingness to um, share the truth even in uh, in some harsh ways to people who need to be shaken from. Some false notions. Um, we see a lot of Jesus at it again, uh, as we've had in these other chapters. Jesus uh, uh, preaching the truth, preaching his love, sharing sharing that gospel, so that others might know uh, what we know that all of his words are most certainly, certainly true. joining us in our effort to read and grow through the Gospel of Matthew. We'd love to share more Jesus with you. Learn more about Grace at our website, www.gracedowntown.org. There you'll find worship times, Bible study resources, links to our digital media resources, our pastor's contact info, and a lot more about our ministry in and to downtown Milwaukee. We hope to connect you to the grace of God again soon.